We're going to look at verses 6 and 7 again. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to pull it out, and I'm sure it's going to be shown on the screen. I'm going to read these, these two verses for you right now from verse 6 in Ephesians 6. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Very short passage, just two verses uh, from Ephesians 6. In the context here, we've been looking at, at some of the applications of what it means to be a Christian in, in our marriages, in our family life, and now in our workplaces. And here, these two verses uh, from Ephesians 6 are dealing about employer-employee kind of relationships. And here, Apostle Paul is telling us, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not men. So that's, that's the question I have for us this morning that comes from this, these verses. What does it mean to do the will of God in the context of your work? So that's the question here. That according to, to the Apostle Paul, it's important, it's imperative for us to do the will of God when we're at work. And so, what is that? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Well, according to Apostle Paul, work is doing the will of God. That when we go to work, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to work. And one of the, you know, one of the perceptions a lot of us have is that work is not good. That we, we have this kind of uh, hatred of work. Many of us do that. I don't know how many of you do, I do, that Monday mornings, you know, if you heard the term Monday morning blues, right? You've had a weekend off and you dread often going to work on Mondays. That's a common thing. I have an easy solution since I, I have a job that allows me to have a flexibility. I've just eliminated working on Monday. <laughs> Actually, Monday mornings. I, I go on Monday afternoons. But in that way, I've kind of, kind of softened that Monday morning blues. If you have that flexibility, I encourage that. Because then you don't have Monday mornings, you have Tuesday morning blues. <laughs> but that's, that's important to, to, to realize and, and to constantly remind yourself that work is not bad. That actually work is good. And God intends work to be good. Work has this intrinsic value that is good. And we get this from the Bible, from the beginning of, of Genesis. In the creation story, we come to realize that God himself is a worker, right? If you're familiar with the story, for six days, God was creative. He formed the stars, he formed uh, the earth, the heavens, the mountains, the water, the trees, even man himself. God was working six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. And in that story, we come to realize that God himself is a worker. And he himself calls it work. In Genesis 2, verse 2, the verse says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In Genesis 1, verse 31, God saw everything that he made, and he said it was good. And that is the nature of God. God is good. 
by his nature, he can't do anything that is bad. So if God works, all his work is good. There is no argument. There is no confusion. Whatever God does, whatever God is, is he is good. So if he works, then his work is good. If God is a worker, then he also made people workers. And we can deduct this because in the creation story, the verses tell us that God created us in his image. So essentially, we are like God. He made us exactly like him. So if God made himself a worker, or God himself is a worker, he made us workers. And the thing we see in verses uh, 26 and 28 and 29 in Genesis 1 is that it tells us that, that God created work for us. He put us in the Garden of Eden, and then he gave us this command, right, to go multiply and be fruitful. He gave us the instructions that we would rule over the creatures of the earth, that we would have dominion. That was our task. That was our work. And today, essentially, many of you are just following through on that command as you are contributing to society and, and building this world according to, to what God has instructed us to do. So God is a worker. God made us to be workers. And then there's something that's kind of unique that, that God considers the work that, that we do. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 13, the scripture says that work is actually a gift from God. So I don't know if, if a lot of you perceive that the jobs or the work that you do is a gift. Come Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock when it's time to clock out, the whole week, did you consider that a gift? Or do you have the attitude that the next two days, the weekend, is your gift? I mean, I have to be honest. There are days or weeks where, you know, you heard the saying, you work for the weekends, right? You work to play hard. That when the time to clock in or clock out, you're looking forward to what's to come during the, the off hours versus what you had done the five days before that. Well, according to this, that scripture, that the work that God gives to us is his gift. And not only is it a gift, not only that he created us to be workers, he also created us to be co-workers, that we are to be partnering with God in his work. Genesis 2, in verse 8 and 15, I, I said that, that God put man, he created man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden. And in the verses 8, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And later in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So there's inherently a purpose there that God gives us to, to partner with him in his work. He created the garden of Eden, and he put us there to work it and to care for it. Now, in the world, there's a perception, unfortunately, that we don't have this kind of partnership, that we don't really work for other people, 
unfortunately, there's a perception is more that we work for ourselves. And if we're honest about that, a lot of times we look at our jobs and we look at it, what am I going to get out of it, right? What, what's my benefit? And a lot of times we, maybe I'm cynical, but I think we're looking at a possibility of a couple of strikes coming up uh, tomorrow morning. And a lot of times you hear all the reasons for the strike and there's these lofty um, goals and, and, and issues. But bottom line, a lot of times it's about money. It's about getting paid more. It's getting more benefits. And I know I may not be being politically sensitive, but if a lot of times we have to evaluate those things and realize, is this truly just out of greed? Is this truly something that more benefits an individual than society itself? Well, the world, from a Christian perspective, we understand is broken. The original intent for God is that work was to be good and is to be good. When he put man in the Garden of Eden, he was there to care and take care of it. But unfortunately, sin entered. The world fell and has been broken. And until God gave a solution, there was really no hope. But God had a solution, and that is Jesus Christ. That Jesus entered the world, died on the cross, so that the world could be made whole again, to be restored. That as his people those of us who commit to following Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and as a community, we have an opportunity to show the world a wholeness that is better than a world that is broken. That when we live our marriages, how we parent, how we go to work, as a community, as we relate to one another and relate to others in the world, we demonstrate that there is a solution that is better than what the world offers. And that is a truth that many of us live out and some of us maybe struggle against, but it is something that's undeniable. And that's what we're going to be trying to challenge one another is that we, as individuals and as a collective, can we work in a way that is different than without Jesus Christ as opposed to having Jesus Christ in our life. In a a book, which is an excellent resource, if you have an opportunity, it's a new book by Tim Keller. If you like Tim Keller's stuff, it's a book called Every Good Endeavor. I recommend it. It talks about the whole issue of work. Another resource that, that uh, some of you have recommended to me in the past and, and a lot of us on staff use as uh, resources is Your Work Matters to God and it's by Sherman and Hendricks. It's a very good book. Those are two excellent resources. But in Tim Keller's book, he, he makes this quote, he gives this quote from Robert Bella, Habits of the Heart. And uh, I'm going to read it to you and maybe actually going to come up on the screen if we actually have it. If not, that's Okay. The quote says, to make a real difference, there would have to be a reappropriation of the idea of vocation or calling. 
a return in a new way to the idea of work as contribution to the good of all and not merely as a means to one's own advancement. It's very insightful. It speaks to the American condition. In America, we unfortunately glorify the individual. It's all about me. What I can do, what I get, what I accomplish, what I do. And, and what Robert Bella is talking about here is that there needs to be a transformation from this I attitude, this me attitude, the individual, to a group collective. That to be transformative to our culture, and specifically as Christians, what do we contribute in our lives to make the whole better? It is the greater good that should be uh, valued, not the individual. And, and to combat that, that, that inherent sinful, natural uh, humanness of being greedy, being selfish, self-centered, the whole issue of the love of money, about materialism, can't beat that unless you have something that is more powerful than our own desires. And then I have to tell you that in my life, and I believe in many of your lives too, to counter that self-centeredness, we need Jesus Christ. It is only through the power that God gives us that we can be different in our own natural selves. Work in itself isn't all about what I do. It's about how I contribute to the greater good, to culture, to the world around me. Work in itself has tangible, real, practical value. And in the Christian context, it gives us through our word to do four or five things. And I'm going to give some of these examples. And the first one is that work gives us an opportunity to serve people. 22 verse 39. It's one that we've heard a lot. And it's actually part of our mission statement. Here at Christian Layman Church, our mission is to, to love God, love people, and then serve the world. It should be no different that that's essentially the mission of all churches, is that we are to love God, love people, and serve, people, serve the world. And that's what we can do through our work, is that through our work, we can serve people. We can love our neighbor as ourselves. God created us to serve the world, to contribute to the world in a meaningful way. And, you know, in my work, workplace, uh, many of you know I'm bifocational, so I'm a dentist, I'm also a pastor. Uh, when I started my practice, one of my uncles gave me a, a uh, calligraphy artwork that, that's in my office, it's on one of my walls. And every time I go to my office, I see it, it's pretty large, and apparently, you know, I, I can't read Chinese, so I take it for, for their word that, that it's a really peace example of calligraphy. And my uncle said to me, essentially gave me a charge when I opened my, my office that, that, that Calvin, you will now 
serve people. So there's this sign that says, as you come to my office, it says, I'm there to serve people. And that's kind of cool. And that's essentially what we should all be thinking about when we go to work. How am I going to serve people? Because it comes right out of the greatest commandments. It's a natural thing that for Christians that that's one of our objectives. How do I love God and how am I going to love people? In my life growing up, it was pretty easy even in my own parents to, to see examples in how they serve people. In many of our jobs that, that they did and in many of the, your jobs, it's pretty easy to figure out that we do serve people. My father was a civil engineer. So it was cool when I would get to see as a kid when you take home the, the, the plans, I could see how he was designing bridges or retrofitting bridges because we do need bridges. They do serve people. Thousands and thousands of cars travel over these bridges to get where they need to go, A to B. So that's a great job. My mother worked in the school food service, cafeterias. And that's another great service because people have to eat. That's one of the basics. And so my mother helped prepare food and serve food in the school, uh, public school system. That's an easy way of, of learning how to, or seeing our work as a way that it really matters and it does serve people. Obviously now, as myself, as a dentist and as a pastor, you can see it's really people-oriented. It's pretty easy to, to go to work and figure out that I'm actually going to be helping somebody in some particular way. And it's kind of cool. I get to you know, help people heal essentially both physically and spiritually. And sometimes it's kind of interesting how uh, I get to do pastoral work in my dentistry and I do dentistry in my pastoral work. <laughs> figure that one out. Okay, so as I was, said earlier, all our work matters. And it matters to God as long as it is legitimate. That's why we're not talking about some illegal activities that you get paid for. But as long as work has a legitimate purpose in society, it has value and it actually is um, something that's, that matters to God. Not only does God... Uh, allow us to go through our work, to work to serve people. Our work also helps us to uh, materially meet our needs. And actually, work helps us to uh, materially meet our needs, our family needs, and the needs of others. That's three ways that work is important. We all have basic needs. We all have to eat. We need clothes. We need shelter etc., etc. So there are needs, and to work is important to be able to, to, to meet those needs. According to the, the verses here in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 12, it essentially talks about the danger of being idle. The Apostle Paul is talking about not being idle, not doing anything, that work prevents being idleness, because idleness, often sin comes out of that. Bad things happen. So to avoid that, we work, and to be productive, and not to be a burden to others. One of the things that's really clear, it says there in Scripture, in, 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 scripture, in verse 10, it says, for even when we were with you, we modeled for you, or for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Pretty basic. Do not work, you don't get to eat. 
And, and I think that's something we often f don't appreciate. At, at this point in my life, I kind of realized, you know, I've worked a long time. <laughs> and I remember getting out of college, right? I said the whole thing, we go through a lot of years of school, and you finally say, oh, I'm going to go to work. And then when you start working, and I think this is the result of the realization from a lot of folks once they're one or two years into work in the workplace, I had the same realization. You kind of re you say that thing is, this is going to be the rest of my life. Essentially, it is. It just and also what what becomes heavy, and I think that it's not the work in itself; it's the responsibilities that life brings to you in the years that follow. As a single person, I remember I didn't care what I made or what I did because you really had no responsibility except yourself. But as the years go on, and if you decide and God uh, brings a person to your life, you get married, have a family, it becomes to a point is that you work not for yourself. You work for the needs of your family and the needs of others. So the other, you know, instrumental values of work, of providing material needs. It is not the other ones for other people and for your family members becomes more forefront. And I think those often weigh as a heavy responsibility. And then right now I'm at the stage of life where, you know, it's about 30 years of working. Um, my kids are at an age where they are now pretty independent. I can almost kind of feel the relaxation, <laughs> you know, the, the, the sigh of relief. But I'll be honest, it was a, it, it, 30 years ago, I could not imagine uh, being here. I said, it, it's, it's a day-to-day -day thing, and you just say, you know, by the grace of God, will I make it? And in some ways, uh, you don't realize that until, until the time has passed. But that's what work allows us to do. La work provides materially for our needs. It does provide the needs of our family. And that's kind of an important thing to, to realize is that the scripture in 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul talks about this, about providing the needs of our family. It's kind of a no-brainer thing, right? You have a family that you do provide for them. Unfortunately, sometimes in some family dynamics that may not actually happen. And so it's kind of convicting here when the scripture says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So whenever I look at scripture and there's, a, there's something that kind of pops out, something that kind of gives a little conviction, you know, it makes you cringe a little bit, it's verses like that where it says, if I do not provide for my immediate family, I'm worse than an unbeliever. That as a Christian, as one who be believes in Jesus Christ, it should make a difference. And as I just shared, you know, at this point in my life, yeah, it's, it's great. I, I've raised my children. I provided for the needs, for Terry and I's needs, our own needs. But now there's a stage in life is now where you're looking at caring for aging parents. They're part of our family too. And sometimes that's a challenge to, to have to deal with that issue at a time when you think, wow, I've done my job, I've taken care of my own 
children. But now to turn around, I got to figure out how I'm going to take care of my parents. And, so, and sometimes knowing the stories that are out there, it can be very um, difficult, both not just financially, but there's emotional, there's spiritual, mental issues that, that just totally stresses folks out. And, and um, we're currently going through some issues with my father-in-law right now. And it does create tension in family members and also just the whole issue of, of just how, do we, how are we going to deal with this? And sometimes it's not an easy task. And I know many of you out there are at, sometimes at that, are also at that stage in life where you're dealing with meeting your own family's needs, your own immediate uh, children's needs, but then also dealing with the challenges of aging parents. But according to scripture here, um, our work is one way where we provide for the needs of, of our own self and also of our immediate family. And the third area that we can materially uh, help is that we are to earn money to give others, give to others. And, and this is something that may be actually foreign to, to a lot of us in our culture. I know I, I get this, this kind of response from some of my uh, non-believing, uh, unchurched, uh, non-Christian family members, is this whole idea of charity, about giving to other people. You know, in, in Asian cultures, the family is, is paramount. Everybody sacrifices for the family. And this means pretty much in Asian context, a lot of times, not just brother or sister, it goes to uncles and aunts, and et cetera, et cetera. Family can, is a big thing. And, and to give money to anyone outside of the family is totally foreign. It's almost like heresy sometimes. It's, you can be... Uh, um, labeled a black sheep in a family if you do something like that. But scripture tells us here, as Christians, we earn money to give to, to others. Ephesians 4, in a chapter earlier in the book of Ephesians, in verse 28, scripture says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So essentially here, it gives a primary uh, purpose of work, that we work not just at the pleasure and and, uh, uh, calling of God, but we work also so that we can give to others. It's nowhere else clearer stated than that, that when we work, we make sure we have something that we will be able to share with someone else. We saw that in the early church, the people took their resources, gathered it all together, and they gave it away to whoever has, was in need. And so here, it's kind of, to be able to give something away, we have to have something, right? Logical. And a lot of times, we kind of prioritize how we spend our money. And there is some wisdom to that. The scripture is, clear that, as I stated, that one of the purposes that we, we uh, go to work is that we materially um, meet our needs. That work um, gives us things that we, we need. But the question often is, what do we really need? And what do we really want? Those are kind of different things. And so it's okay to spend our money on things that we need, 
but often we may have to temper on some of the things that we want. Because often in our spending patterns, if we feed into all the things we want, then we won't have anything left over to give to others, which is clearly also what scripture says here. That we work, not just for ourselves, but we work so that we can give to others. And remember that quote from Robert Bella, that if we are to make any kind of difference in the world, whether we're a Christian or not even a Christian, because this is applicable whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, but what Robert Bella says is that we must combat the glorification of the individual and look for the better good of the society as a whole. And as Christians, especially as the scripture says here, if we are living too much about ourselves and not thinking about how we are to help others, especially materially, then we have some issues. Then we are essentially hypocrites. We are not doing what, what God wants us to do. That's why as a church, you know, we've been um, helping, guiding us all in this journey about living simply and then being able to give generously. And some of the testimonies and the stories of, that are coming from uh, your, your work and your decisions has been inspiring. And, and that's great. But I also want to point out that that it's also important to, to realize it's not necessarily the amounts. A lot of times we, we like the sensational giving, uh, but my, my heart always goes to, to the willingness for people to give out of scarcity. That it's the whole story uh, uh, that's from Mark, um, Mark 12 of the, the widow, the widow's might. That, that impressed Jesus. It's, it's the little gifts out of scarcity that, that are important. Oftentimes, a lot of times, we give out of our huge, vast surpluses. And for me, that's not really a challenge. I don't necessarily diminish the value that it can do in God's kingdom, but I am more inspired and I am impressed and also uh, encouraged by the gifts that people sacrificially give out of scarcity. And I know there are some stories I, uh, that, that I revel in more is when I hear a college student who's on a really tight budget gives 50 or $60 towards uh, uh, the care or support of a child overseas and does that each month. That for me, is, is something that's, that, that's precious in the eyes of God versus someone who gives out of the vastness of their, their resources. And I, I just want us to, to make note of that and also not to um, have people feel it doesn't really matter. Those little small acts of love and generosity do matter. And God clearly notes that because the recording of the story of the widow and her might, the little penny, essentially a penny that she gives, meant more to God 
than the hundreds and thousands of dollars that the rich folks were giving at the temple. So those are three, kind of three areas that, that work helps us, that gives value, that it does provide us materially for our needs, for our family needs, and, and for the needs of others. But here's a fifth thing that, 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 that work has value. And it's one that you can easily kind of gloss over. And it's, a, it's something that, that even I didn't think was profound until I actually sat and thought about it. Um, is that through our work, we actually love God. And it goes back to the, to the greatest commandments, right? To love God and, and to, to love others. But actually, when we work, it is a way that we actually love God. That, that follow the logic here. If that God loves us, he gives us the gift of work. So to love God, according to, to the scriptures here in, in Ephesians, to love God is to do the will of God. So if we are to do the will of God, it demonstrates that we love God. And one of the things that God wants us to do, apparently, is to work. So when we work, we are following God's will, as long as the work is something that has legitimate value. Then in, in the process, by doing God's will, we are actually loving God. Work, doing the will of God, love God. So if we are actually working, so my question to you all out here, when you're at work, do you feel like you are loving God more? When you go to work on Monday morning, do you feel like you are loving God more. It's my conviction a lot of us actually don't really love God. Harsh thing to say. And that's my question. Do you really love Jesus? A lot of us are more, or we, we function more out of obligation. We function out of duty. We function out of guilt. We do things to avoid consequences. Do we actually do things because we do it out of love? Two different motiva motivation facts, right? A lot of us train, if you ever train dogs, right? There's positive reinforcement and there's also negative reinforcement. Uh, food is usually used as a positive one, punishment, or disciplining a dog. Dogs are really simple, more easier than training kids. You can have the same principles, can be applied, but they don't often come as solid as training a dog. But if you train a dog, positive reinforcement, generally you get some of the few things. Negative reinforcement, which is not the best way of teaching a, a, a dog, um, but it works too. But a lot of us, I believe, are motivated more by negative reinforcement than positive. And I think it comes down to even in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And what Scripture is telling us here is that we are not to do things because of the fear of consequences, but we are to do this out of love. Scripture says that God loved us so that he gave us his one only son. Scripture says that we love because he loved us first. 
the healthy way in our Christian perspective is to do things because we do this out of response of our love. But unfortunately, I believe a lot of the things we do is because we want to avoid consequences, that we want to do this out of guilt, we do this out of obligation and duty. And that is not going to lead to contentment and fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In a, in a moment, we're going to be singing love songs to God. And sometimes, I think a lot of us sing them just out of lip service. 